Thanks for listening to our Faith Church podcast. Let's listen to today's message. Well, I'm going to minister this morning for a few minutes. If you'll grab your Bibles. Thank you. Wow. I feel really good right now. Thank you. Sounds good. Matthew chapter 11. We're going to jump into that passage. Um, we're going to t- I want to talk this today about how to, tr- how to find true rest. How to find true rest. Uh, you know, when I think about the last 12 months, uh, it's been a chaotic time. It's been a stressful time. It's been, a, it's been hard to find peace and rest. Many people have really struggled. Um, and uh, it, it feels like we've been at war now for 12 months. And it's just been a, a challenge. And sometimes when you're trying to get, get back to normal, you're trying to find normal again, you don't know what to do. I think of soldiers coming back from a war and trying to reacclimate themselves in society, not knowing where to go, not knowing what to do. And when I'm talking about rest, there is a difference between spiritual rest and sleep. Some people think of rest, they're just thinking they want to go to sleep. They just want to forget about the last 12 months. They want to forget about everything, ignore it, hope it goes away. They want to wake up and hope that this nightmare is over. And so they're thinking sleep, but I'm not talking sleep. Sleep is avoiding, is running away, is, is unaware. But rest, there's something about rest that refreshes our soul. When you truly come to a place of rest, there's a refreshing. There's a peace. There's a joy. There's a calm. There's an assurance. There's a refocusing that comes in when you've been rested. There's something that takes place in the strengthening and you want to move forward. And that's what we're talking about today. How do I now move forward? It's been 12 months. A lot's happened in our world. A lot of stuff's gone on that has taken our attention, taken our focus. And how do I go forward? How do I find a place of rest? I want to first mention to you that we are part of the kingdom of God. And so as citizens of the kingdom of God, there is a mindset that we have here that we are supposed to bring to others. Bible said Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. Jesus came to establish God's kingdom. Part of our role on earth is to establish God's kingdom here on earth. So we're not supposed to think like the world. We're not supposed to act like the world. We're not supposed to uh, engage in that level of living like them, as it were. Jump with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. And Jesus is speaking these words. And he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So we're talking about rest. How do I find rest? Rest in the middle of the trauma, the drama, the storm, the challenges. How do I find real rest? Jesus says, come to me, those of you who are weary and those of you who are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This is not something that the world understands. This is not something that the world can do. But he says, unload everything on me. Unload your stuff at my feet. Spend time with me. Give me your problems. Give me your weariness. Give me your burdens. You can trust me. Jesus wants us to come to him and unload these weights, unload these burdens. Here's what I do know. I can't change my circumstances. I can't change my situations. I can't even change people around me. I can't change in that. The only thing I can do is I can make a decision to find rest in the middle of whatever situation I'm in. And so I can be living in the worst situation at work, the worst situation at home, financial challenges, medical challenges, children challenges, whatever it is, family situations. But I can find rest because if I don't find rest, I want to go to sleep. 
And sleep's dangerous because sleep will cause you to miss something that you need to see. We need to be awake. We need to be aware. We need to be refreshed. I don't need to go to sleep. And this is why so many people quit. So many people give up because they just want their problems to go away. And problems aren't necessarily going away, but God could give me rest in the middle of my problems. The disciples didn't understand that. We read the story of Jesus in the boat and Jesus is resting in the middle of the big storm. And the disciples are all upset. Jesus, why are you at rest? Because I'm Jesus. Because I am rest. It doesn't matter what's swirling around me. I am at rest. I am at peace. And the more I can be with Jesus, the more I can receive from him, the more I can act like him, the more that I can receive and be at peace and be at joy. Rest constitutes refreshing, renewing, refocusing, and readying to be able to move forward. There's something about feeling rested. It's like going away on vacation and coming back and going, I'm ready. I feel rested. I feel ready. I feel ready to move forward. There's something about getting rest. But I have to choose a couple of things. The first thing is I have to choose to carry the easy yoke. He said, my yoke is easy. Everyone will have an opinion of what yoke you should carry. Who you should be yoked to, what you should be yoked to, what you should be a part of. People are going to have an opinion on and when you're talking about yoke, the, 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 the picture, which I know you're familiar with, is picture two horses or two cows or being yoked together, trying to plow a field or trying to walk together. And it's being yoked. And the enemy is always going to try to yoke you to something that is hard, difficult. The enemy will try to yoke you to things that are going to cause you to want to quit and give up. It doesn't mean that those things don't exist. There's a lot of things in our world that exist, things that are difficult, things that are hard. But just because it exists doesn't make it your yoke, doesn't make it your burden, doesn't make it your problem. And this is where sometimes even people with really good hearts, with good nature, want to help a situation, but it's not their burden to carry. It's not their yoke to burden with. They have to take the yoke. The reason why sometimes we get worn out is we're yoked to something we're never supposed to be yoked to. We're attached to somebody we're not supposed to be attached to. And sometimes you can be attached to somebody for a good cause, but not a God cause. And you have to know the difference between what is good and what is God and what you should be yoked to and what God wants you to be yoked to. Because he says, my yoke is easy. If you're going to find refreshment and you're going to find rest, you're going to have to ask the Lord, is this something you want me to be yoked to? Yeah, but everybody's telling me. I don't care what everyone's telling you. Is this something you want me to be yoked to? Is this someone you want me to be yoked to? Yeah, but it's a great opportunity. But, but you know, I could make a difference. This could but is this something you want me to be yoked to? Because he wants to give us a yoke that we can carry. His yoke is easy. His Bible says it's gentle. It's full of humility. So what spirit am I yoked to? Who am I yoked to? Is it wearing me out? Or is it giving me life? If it's wearing me out, I need to consider, is this something I'm supposed to be yoked to? There's lots of opportunities right now to be yoked to stuff. There's lots of opportunities to be joined to things. I get opportunities all the time. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And, and, and sometimes within us, we want to say yes to everything. But in saying yes to everything, it wears you out. And then for the thing that God calls you to do, you have no strength to do. The second thing he says there is, my burden is light. My burden. Yoke and burdens are different. A burden is something the Lord puts on you. The Lord gives you a responsibility. I have a burden. God will give me a burden to pray for somebody. He'll give me a burden to intercede. He'll give me a burden to witness to somebody. He'll give me a burden to give. He'll give me a burden to do something specific. He'll put a burden in my heart. It may not be on your heart, but it'll be on my heart. 
and it's his burden that he gives me. And when I take his burden, it's, I'm able to take it. It's light. I'm not overextending myself. I'm doing what he's telling me to do. If I'm supposed to intercede, if I'm supposed to fast, if I'm supposed to pray, if I'm supposed to give, if I'm supposed to do something, his burden is light. I can't take on things that are beyond grace to take on. See, the grace of God is there for the purposes of God. We use the word grace, and this word is a powerful word. But the grace of God is only there when I'm doing what God wants me to do. A lot of times we operate and we take on burdens and we take on yokes that are outside of the grace of God. And when you take on something that's outside of the grace of God, you feel like it's wiping you out. And many times we pick up things we should never pick up. We pick up relationships we should not pick up. We pick up burdens we should not pick up. And the world will put burdens all kinds of... And, and understand, the world has no rest. The world has no spiritual rest. They have no soul rest. The world is not going to understand this word rest. And so if you're hoping to get advice from people in the world, they're not going to be able to help you. So you're going to have to know, how do I find rest how do I walk in the grace of God every day? How do I pick up the right yoke every day? How do I carry the right burden every day? I can't carry the yokes and burdens of the world and find rest in the Spirit of God. It's not my job. I'm here on assignment to do what I'm called to do, and then when my assignment's over, I'm going home to be with my Lord. That's my, that's my focus. That's my assignment Go with me and let's dig into this out of Hebrews chapter 3. Flip over to Hebrews 3. Flip over if you have your Bible, if you have your smartphone. Turn off Facebook and jump into <laughs> Version Bible and uh, Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to read from the New Living Translation. I know nobody's in doing it, but I'm just being funny. And so Hebrews chapter 3, he talks about this concept of rest. And he's talking about, God is talking about the children of Israel. He's referring to the story of the children of Israel back in Numbers, where the children of Israel were called in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. He's calling the children of Israel out of Egypt to into their promised land. And so he's taking this concept of rest in the Old Testament, explaining it through the Old Testament lens and applying it in a New Testament, in a today's mindset and generation. I believe the word rest here has a double meaning. I do. I believe the first meaning is talking about our ultimate rest in heaven. That we'll have an ultimate rest. When, we're, when we uh, pass away and we go on to be with the Lord, we will have ultimate rest. That's the ultimate rest to be with Jesus. But I also believe there can be a rest here on earth during times of tough, tough times, during times of tribulation, during times of attack, during times of frustration. And here we see it in Hebrews chapter 3. And let me, let me read and, and talk about this struggle that the children of Israel had with finding rest. They were taken from the most harshest of conditions that people could be in. The harshest of dictators, the harshest of leaders that were really hurting them and causing great challenge in their life. Slavery was, was their daily lot, and God took them out of that, but the journey out of that into their promised land is where they fell apart. Some people, when they get saved, they, they want to walk free, but you have to take that journey through the process of salvation to find deliverance and to find rest for your souls. And he's talking with them about this journey. He's talking with them about how they can find rest and what are the things that's keeping them from finding rest. And he says, verse 6, Hebrews 3, New Living Translation. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house, if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did 
when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, God said, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. So in this passage, he mentions eight things that keep them from finding rest. I want you to write these down if you can. Eight things that keep us from finding rest. He's talking to the children of Israel and he's explaining because God wants to give you rest. But if you don't follow God's pattern and God's word and God's will, you're going to live your life in frustration and stress and anxiety. You're never going to find rest. And this is what happened with the children of Israel. And ultimately it cost them. And here's the eight things that he mentions in the first passage. In verse eight, it says, don't harden your heart. So the first thing is a hard heart. The first thing God mentions is they had a hard heart. Many of the children of Israel had a hard heart. How does a hard heart happen to Christians? Because remember this passage, he's talking to believers. He's talking to believers. He said, you need to be careful of a hard heart. In fact, he repeats it at the end of the passage and talks about a hard heart again. A hard heart can happen easily for believers. A hard heart happens many times when you're believing God for something and it doesn't happen. When you're praying and asking God for a miracle, or you're asking God for healing, or you're asking God for provision, or you're asking God to do something you want God to do. And many times a hard heart can come when you're expecting God to do something. You have expectation. Maybe you even have some sort of promise or even some sort of prophetic word. I don't care what it is, but there's something that God in your mind disappoints you on. And many people can get a hard heart towards God because they feel like God disappointed them. They feel like God left them short. Now, a lot of Christians won't, won't admit that. They don't, won't admit that they're mad at God. They won't admit that they're disappointed with God. But that's what a, where a hard heart many times starts. Because they believed God, they prayed, they had faith, they stood, and somehow it didn't come through. And a little hardness of heart starts. And when a little starts, it begins to build and it begins to grow. And where you started with just a little hardness, all of a sudden you don't even know if God can do anything anymore. And there's a hardness of heart. That's why even David said, break up the fallow ground of your heart. What's he talking about? What do you mean fallow ground? The hard ground of your heart. That's why many times when we come in to search, we start with praise and worship. Why? Because if we can get you worshiping God and get you opening your mouth and breaking up the hardness of your heart, you're going to be able to meet with God and talk with God and let God speak to you and heal you. One of the worst things you can have is a hard heart because a hard heart can't hear from God. And so I have to ask God, God, do I have a hard heart? Is there things in me that maybe I've been disappointed? And I know from experience, having been saved a long time, all my life, I can tell you there's times that I did not understand the ways of God. I did not understand why God would do this or why God wouldn't do that. There's times where I believed God for this and it didn't happen. And I had always have to check my heart to see, is my heart getting hard? It's one of the great dangers for my life. I don't want my heart to get hardened because when my heart gets hardened, I can't hear from God. And so I have to continually break up that hard heart in me to make sure that I can find that place in God where he'll speak to me. But a hard heart is something that'll keep you from resting. We're talking about finding rest. 
finding refreshing, finding refueling, finding that place of joy and of peace in God. A hard heart will keep it from you. Something doesn't go the way you want it to go. The second thing he mentions is they tested God's patience. Now, I know none of us think we've ever tested God's patience, but I'd like to suggest to you, you and I have probably tested God's patience a few times. How many of you have children? How many of your children have ever tested your patience? You know it's true. I know it's true. As awesome as my kids are, there are days they have tested my patience. And we can test God's patience. And God is very patient, God. But there comes a point where we have to stop complaining. One of the things, I don't know about you, but one of the things I couldn't stand my kids doing is complaining. You want to drive me crazy, complain. You want to test my patience, complain about stuff. And the children of Israel were famous for complaining. They were the most complaining group. Complaining. They didn't like this. They didn't like that. God, why did you take us out of Egypt? How short their memory was. And, and they just complained and complained. And they tested God's patience over and over again. God provided for them. God made provisions. They lived 40 years without having to go and buy clothes. They lived 40 years with every meal they could need provided for them in a wilderness. And they still complain. And they tried God's patience. They tested, the Bible says, God's patience. And there's nothing like a child to test your patience. The thing you want to say to them is, will you grow up? Will you grow up? Because a ch child will test your patience. Daddy, can I get that? Daddy, can I get that? Daddy, will you buy that? Daddy, can we go to McDonald's? Daddy, can we go to Wendy's? Daddy, can we get the store? Can, can I get French fries? Daddy, can you go? To, Daddy, can you go get that? And some of us do that to God. Daddy, will you do this? Daddy, will you do that? Daddy, can I get this? Daddy, can I get that? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And God is saying, can you please grow up? We need to grow up. And we test God's patience with the way we act. And then we get upset. We pout. We ignore God. We think we know better. How could God do this to me? And we become the victim with God, which makes no sense whatsoever. But somehow God abused us. And we test his patience. The third thing they did is they forgot his miracles. It says they forgot his miracles. It says even though, verse 9 says, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. 40 years. How many have seen God's miracles in your life? Turn your life around. Save you from a life of destruction. Deliver you from an addiction. Set you free from some sort of oppression. Or some sort of distress. How many have seen, you've seen God do miracles in your children, in your family, in your job, in your finances, in your health. You've seen God, yet if it's not yesterday, somehow it seems to be not as valuable. I saw God do something in 1975, but I haven't seen him do anything lately. Are you still being provided for? Do you still have a job? Do you still have a roof over your head? Do you still have things in your food for your stomach? Some of us, clearly we do. There's things that God has obviously been blessing us with. There's no doubt, yet somehow we're forgetting the miracles that he's done over and over. Some of us should not be here, but here we are. 2021. And we're still alive. But for some, it's not good enough. He could have done a hundred things. But we forget his miracles, his blessings. We devalue them. 
The fourth thing this passage says is we refuse to obey God. They refused to obey God. You want to frustrate your heavenly father, disobey him. Again, us as parents, I tell my kids, I want you to do this. If they want to make sure they have no rest, disobey me. <laughs> we disobey God. God says, I want you to witness to that person. I want you to share the love of Jesus. I want you to give to this person. I want you to pray for this person. I want you to fast. I want you to, to go over here. I want you to serve in this ministry. I want you to go over and help these children. I want you to go over and minister to that man or minister to that woman. And we disobey God. I want you, instead of reacting to your spouse who was just mean to you, I want you to just tell them you love them. Well, <laughs> I'll tell them I love them. And God tells us what to do, and we don't want to do it. And then we can't find rest. And the problem is we end up listening to our friend who's messed up. And they give us advice of how to speak to our spouse after they've been through three divorces. And they're going to tell you how to talk to your spouse and be like, why am I listening to you again? Why in the world would I listen to somebody who's, who's already been through this and messed up? We have to realize God has the answer to people's souls. God knows how to get a hold of that woman, that man, that child, that boss, that person in your job, in your work, in your home, in your church, wherever it is. God knows how to speak to them, but we struggle with obeying God. We struggle because there's pride, there's arrogance, there's things in us that, God, can't I just clap back a little? I, I just need a little clap back. It's just, just a little, zzz, just a little, zzz, and just kind of zing them. You know, my wife, she's getting a little lippy. I just need a, zzz, a little pop and just kind of. Now, my, my wife never, no, 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 no. Just an example. But we disobey God. And then we make a mess, and then we can't find rest. See, God knows what you need for rest. And so he wants you to find a place of rest and refreshing. Why are you fighting when God didn't tell you to fight? Did God tell you to get in a fight? I, I've, I'm, I continue to try to learn the ways of God. There are times when I want to take on a fight and I, I know that I shouldn't, but it just seems like maybe I should take this on and I end up making a mess. And if I just stopped and asked the Lord, is this what you want me to do? God, do you want me to witness? Well, what if I witness to that person? You know, there's a lot of anti-Christian sentiment right now. What if I go to this restaurant and I witness to this person and then they don't like me or they, they, they spit in my food or, you know, I, I, I think like that. I, I went to lunch a week and a half ago with a friend of mine and we went to a, a barbecue place and and, I, and I, was, I had my essential Christian shirt, and I thought, hmm, do I want to wear this? <laughs> I'm telling you what I went through, and it's sitting, hanging on my steamer, and I'm like, if they don't like Christians, are they going to do something to my food? And I actually had to have a conversation, because in today's society, you don't know what people are going to do. And so sure enough, I wore the shirt. I said, no, I'm going to wear my essentials. I felt like I was supposed to wear that. And I wore the shirt. And I get there. And we get to the, to, the, to the cashier. And she's like, oh, you don't know what that shirt does for me. Oh, you're encouraging me. This is the best day right now. You're encouraging my heart because you got that shirt on. Oh. Where is your church? I want to go to your church. 
And see, I'm thinking they're going to spit in my food. <laughs> Nowadays, there's a lot of hate in this world. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of bitterness in this world. And so I'm, I'm thoughtful of things I wouldn't have been so thoughtful of before. And I realize different ones of us have had experiences in different ways for many years. And I get that. We've had experiences where we're like, are they going to do something to me? Are they going to treat me wrong? Are they going to mis- That's a real thing. You think about what you're going to do. You think about where you're going to go. You think about how you're going to get there. And so these are things I have to say, God, I, I have to obey you. The fifth thing to find rest or not find rest. It says a heart that has evil in it. Notice what it says there. Make sure, verse 12, be careful, it says, dear brothers and sisters. Again, brothers and sisters are us. Be careful, brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil. You know, one of the arguments that I have sometimes with Christians is they don't think evil can get in their hearts because they're saved. And so they're like, I'm, I'm saved. No, evil can't take hold of my heart. Sure it can. Evil can absolutely take hold of your heart. Evil can absolutely take hold of your heart. Satan can speak evil thoughts into your mind. Satan can speak evil thoughts into your spirit where you act on those thoughts. You respond to those. You can have evil impartation through soul ties, evil impartation through the music you listen to, through the speakers you listen to, the ideologies you take in can be full of evil. You can take, you listen to certain podcasts, can be full of evil. There's evil all around us. There's evil and you have to watch and protect your spirit. So a heart that is full of evil won't find rest. And so I have to pay attention what's going into my heart, what's going into my spirit. One of the things I've said for years is I'm I'm very sensitive to music. Music is a very, uh, being a musician, uh, music is one of those things, you know how people go to sleep with music? I can't. I wake fully up with music. And so music is very sensitive to me spiritually. And so I can't listen to secular music because if I do, it'll get in me. And then I'll be singing it for a day and a half. And you all know some of those words and some of those songs you should not be singing because when that spirit gets in you, the actions then soon follow after. And so you think it's just a cool song with a cool rhythm and the lyrics are kind of cool. But and when you really listen to it, it's like, what am I singing? What am I saying? What am I? What spirit did I just welcome into my life? Through that movie or through that podcast, or through that, that uh, streaming thing that I just listened to? What did I just open up? And a heart that's full of evil. I can't, I'm not going to find rest with evil in my heart. Unforgiveness in my heart. And soul ties are full of that. And we get soul ties. Soul ties happen when you form an emotion with somebody. It can be, it can be an emotion of somebody you hate. And you form a soul tie. And so you hate this person. Now you've got a soul tie. That's why I tell you all the time, don't allow unforgiveness to get into your heart. It forms a soul tie. And before you know it, you're acting just like them. Because evil gets in your heart. And you can't find rest. I'm talking about finding rest for our souls. The sixth point is a heart of unbelief. He says, not only can you have a heart of evil, but you can have an unbelieving heart, a heart that is full of unbelief. What is unbelief? Unbelief is when you don't believe God. You don't have faith. You don't trust God. God, I trust you. God, I believe you. God, I have faith in you. We lose trust. We lose faith in God. And when we lose faith in God, we lose trust in God. It creates a heart of unbelief. One of the things that frustrated Jesus the most was hearts of unbelief. He'd walk into places And he goes, you're so full of unbelief. You don't believe I can heal. You don't believe I can set free. And the last 12 months, people have received a heart of unbelief. They've received hearts of unbelief. I don't know if God can deliver me. I better do it my way. 
And we, we, we figure out, we don't know if God can deliver us. We don't know if God can help us. We don't know if God can do anything. And we get a hearts of unbelief. And we want to believe, but we get so overwhelmed with life and with the emo- and moments, we can't find rest because there's unbelief. And many times unbelief today is a result of unbelief from years before. It just surfaced again today. But it's something that you didn't deal with before that allowed the unbelief to continue today. And if there's times when unbelief settle in me, I have to find out where did this come from? How did unbelief? Sometimes unbelief comes from I read too much on Google. Okay, I got this pain in my arm. Oh my God. I've got all this stuff. It could be 12,000 things. It could be wrong with me. And the worst could be they have to amputate my arm. I mean, anybody ever read, you were fine until you looked up what you were feeling. And then when you looked up what you were feeling, you were like, I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. And you, you should never have looked up what you were feeling, but you just had to know. Rather than ask the Lord, Lord, what am I dealing with? You say, I'm going to look up Google because Google always knows. And I'm going to ask Siri and I'm going to find out what is going on or Alexa and find out what's going on. Why is my arm in pain? And all of a sudden you're down a road that's full of unbelief. And it it can happen that quick. And, And God may even speak to you and say, you're fine. Just believe me. I don't know. I don't know if I'm fine. I better go get a doctor. I better go get a test. I better go get an x-ray. I better take some pills. I better. And before you know it, you're down this road of unbelief. Number seven, that fits right in that same passage. So we have, make sure your hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Number seven, we turn away from God. This is a great theological argument in the body of Christ. Is it possible believers can turn away from God? And the answer is yes. We see it right here in Hebrews 3 again. Yes, believers can walk away from God. People don't believe that, and people argue with me that, and and that's fine. But I see it over and over again in the Word of God. People can turn away from serving God. And in these last 12 months, more people have turned away from God than I've ever seen in my life. People have just stopped Everything. They not only stopped going to church, they've stopped reading their Bible, they've stopped praying, they've stopped witnessing, they've stopped doing anything that pertains to a Christian walk. And they don't, they don't have no connection. They turned away from God. It's dangerous and it happens subtle. And what's made it interesting is COVID has been the perfect cover for people to walk away from God. And they've got every excuse why they're no longer serving God. Some may even say, oh, I'm still serving God. Really? When was the last time you really prayed and talked to God? Well, I don't know. Well, when was the last time you served? Well, I don't know. When was the last time you witnessed? I don't know. When was the last time you fasted? I don't know. When was the last time you gave? I don't know. Are you sure you're really serving God? And people's hearts can get turned away from God. And when your heart's not near God, you're not going to find rest. There's no rest. The eighth one It says in verse 13, it says, you must warn each other every day while it's still today, which today is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and again, hardened against God. So the eighth one, the last one is deceived by sin. Deceived by sin. You know, we can be deceived by sin where all of a sudden you accept little sins as like, well, that's kind of my little vice. You know, I got this little thing. It's not that big a deal. I still love Jesus. But little sins become bigger sins. You know the saying, if you give an inch, they'll take a mile? That is definitely sin. Sin is never satisfied with an inch. Sin will always want the next inch, the next mile. And you start being deceived by sin. And all of a sudden, a little lie here, bigger lies there, uh, greed, stealing, lying, um, lusting, 
All these things, sin begins to take hold and you become deceived by sin. When you're deceived by sin, your heart begins to pull away from God. You can't be fully ingrained in God and fully ingrained in sin. It's not possible. So if you're fully ingrained in sin, understand your heart is far from God. I'm not saying you're saved or unsaved. That's something you and God need to talk about. But some people want me to guarantee, what, do you think I'm still saved? And my answer to them is, if you don't think you're still saved, you're probably not. And so I am not going to tell anybody they're saved or unsaved. They need to know between them and God whether they are or not. But sin is a deceiver. Sin is always deceptive. Oh, I can handle it. You can't handle sin. You can't handle sin. If anybody could have handled sin, Jesus could have. But Jesus was sinless. Because sin, in its very meaning, separates you from God. That's what sin means. Sin means separates me from God. And so that's why it's important that we're quick to repent of our sins. So that it reunites us with the heart of God. Now, being separated from God doesn't mean you're saved or unsaved. It just means it's getting dangerous. And anytime I start to feel separated from God, I have to quickly evaluate, God, where am I and what did I do? Did I say something? Did I do something? Did I think something? You say, well, thoughts aren't sin. Sure, you can think evil thoughts. You can think sinful thoughts. Well, I thought sin is only actions. No, you can. Thoughts. There are thoughts that are unhealthy. And your thoughts always lead to deeds. That's why you have to squash thoughts so they don't become deeds. Because we can't handle thoughts. We think we can handle thoughts, but you can't handle thoughts. And you have to squash them in the thought mode so they don't become deeds. And so as a man thinks, so is he. So as a man thinks, as you think, that's who you are. But I want you to understand, and I want to kind of give you some, where I really want to take this today. God is trying to speak. He wants to bring us to a place of rest. So in chapter 4, if you go to chapter 4 real quick in verses 1 and 2. Chapter 4, it says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. Notice what he says. God's promise of entering his rest, it still stands. That's encouraging to me right out of the gate. His promise still stands of entering his rest. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared, for this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, the Israelites, but it did them no good because they did not share the faith of those who listened to God. What's that mean? If you go to the New King James Version, it, it says a little better. It says, for indeed, verse 2, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. Many people hear the word. Like, you're all hearing the word I'm saying today, unless you've got earphones on and listening to something else. But you're all hearing the word. But you can hear the word, and it won't profit you unless you mix it with faith. You have to add faith to the word. And you have to receive it by faith. You just can't receive the word. You have to receive it by faith and apply it by faith. But I think the verse that probably grabbed me the hardest in this passage was verse 1. It says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. But then he says these words. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. So we ought to tremble with fear because some may not ever get to that place of rest. We must tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience. Meaning, I've got to be very careful. I can't allow a spirit of arrogance or pride to come in and say, I'm good. I've got to make my salvation sure every day. I've got to have, 
You know the scripture, and I, I want to preach on this at some point soon. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. There's something about the fear of the Lord that we don't understand. And there's that deep fear of the Lord that believers need to get into their spirit again. There's a deep fear that we need to get a hold of in our spirit. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I've got to have a fear that I could miss the rest of God. This world is all consuming right now. This, the 20, these last 12 months have been brutal. My time up? Is that what they like? Okay. My two minute warning. This world has taken out so many believers in the last 12 months. And so many people have been confused whether it was COVID, the elections, injustice, all these different things that have gone. This has been a brutal 12 months. And believers have been completely consumed with things that God isn't putting on their plate to be consumed with. And there's, there's this lack of fear of the Lord that I can be angry, I can be mad, I can be full of venom, I can be full of hate, and it's okay. And I'm scared because I, I see people, not only have they not rested for the last year, some people haven't found rest in five years, 10 years, 20 years. You haven't found rest because you and God have something going on that you need to resolve. Some of us need to resolve 2020. And I wasn't going to say this first service, but all of a sudden it shot through the building when I said it. Some of us need 2020 broken off of us. Some of us need the spirit of 2020 broken off. Some of us need the spirit of COVID broken off. There's such a fear, a deep-seated fear some people need the fear of what's going on in our nation broken off. There's a deep-seated... You have more of a fear of COVID than you do a fear of God. That's a problem. And we need some things broken off of our lives. God wants to bring you to a place of rest where you can breathe. You can feel refreshed. You can feel renewed. You can feel rejuvenated. You can feel calm. Yes, is the world still going to be crazy? Yes, it's going to be crazier, and it's probably going to get even crazier still. Is, is things going to continue to happen in the world? Yes. Are things wrong? Yes. Is that my burden? If God doesn't give me that burden, then who am I to pick it up? And for some, it can be a sense of pride to pick up things. For some, it can be a sense of pains of yesterday that cause you to pick up some of these weights and burdens. And God is saying, I need you to shake off 2020. I need you to shake off those spirits and find rest. Rest. There's a spirit of rest. You don't need to keep fighting every day. Who are you fighting with? Why do you keep fighting these fights that wear you out? How are you going to find rest? What makes it even worse is those of us who have children in the house, not only do we pick up those spirits of unrest, our children pick them up from us. And so we wonder why our children are acting crazy. You might need to look in the mirror and go, I'm acting crazy. Maybe that's why my children are acting crazy. 
Understand. We have three kids. And whenever our kids go a little sideways, we always look at each other and say, okay, what did we let in? What did we do? We take a quick evaluation of our own life. Okay, Lord, show me. Did I let something in? Because this boy, I don't know where his head is. But I'm getting ready to knock it off his body. And so I need you to show me where this came in. And was it me? Because we know it wasn't his mother. So was it me? And probably half the time, it was me. But I fail at times to shake off the yokes and the burdens that others put on me. That's not my yoke. That's not my burden. COVID is not your yoke. That's not your burden. I can give that to the Lord. But do you realize people have already resigned themselves to not come out of their house for another year? Because they've surrendered to that spirit. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not the fear of COVID. We need the fear of the Lord. Yeah, but what happens if something happens? Something can happen anywhere. Any place stuff can happen. Stuff can happen any place you go. I can't live by the fear of men. Well, what if I go and I wear my essential Christian shirt and they spit in my burger? Well, God will have to cover my burger. You think I'm funny. I'm straight up serious. I think like that. I, I do. I, and, I, and I know I'm a little whacked, but I do. There are things that God wants to heal within all of us, me included. And he wants to bring us to a place of rest. What is that place of rest? Peace, calm, strength, refocused, re-energized, refreshed, because there's a work to be done. And I can't get caught up with 2020 if I'm going to find success in 2021. I have to move forward. Let's stand this morning. Thanks again for listening to our Faith Church podcast. We are so glad you chose to listen to this message. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to receive notifications when we release new content. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Faith Church Rock to find out more information about what is currently happening at Faith Church.